I wrote a five-hour sermon. I'm going to cut it down to an hour and a half because I have a cold, so. Then we were chatting about, in some areas of the world, they walk to church, like hours they walk to church. And that's walking one way. And uh, they get ticked at the pastor if he only preaches for 30 minutes. Like, I walked two hours to church this morning, and you're only going to feed me for 30 minutes. What's wrong with you? Here, we drive 10 minutes to church, and we're like, how dare you feed me for more than 30 minutes, because I have to go home and feed myself food. It's funny. I have a call coming in in the middle of church. Let's put this over here so I can ignore that. This morning, you can turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Jeremiah. Uh, I'll give you the verse that we're going to be, or the chapter that we're going to be in in a minute. But I'll leave you hanging on the edge of your seat, wondering where in Jeremiah. But you have a few minutes to get there. What did we talk about last week? Anyone remember? Revival. What did, we, what did we learn about revival last week? We have to do our part. This, this week's message and last week's message weren't written as a traditional series um, where they easily, like, you see part one, part two, part three, part four, while well, I only have two weeks to preach in a row. But we're talking this week about the will of God. Many of us desire, we talked about last week, many of us desire to see revival take place. We talked about the fact that for decades upon decades as the church, as leaders of the church, unfortunately we've come to a misunderstanding about what revival is. And uh, we tried to correct that in our hearts and our minds to kind of reorient our view from revival being about a meeting called entitled a revival meeting and then revival would happen. Because we titled it a, a revival meeting, we had some amazing evangelists come in And then the fire God was going to fall just because we called it a revival meeting. And we redirected our attention, did a complete 180 to focusing on me. The revival is about my heart. And we talked about some particular, I said that there's more than three, but we talked about some three particular ways that I really felt were for us. To, to chew on. And I'm not going to re-preach that sermon this Sunday or, and spend any more time on it. But if you weren't here last Sunday uh, and didn't get to be a part of that message, that message was for, I believe truly, was for not just a few of us, but was for many of us. Um, and so you're able to go back and through the luxury of live stream, go to our YouTube or our Facebook page and uh, take a part of that message Uh, into your heart. For us to be able to truly understand God's will for our life, 
that has to take place first. For us to be able to submit ourselves to what God wants, we have to go through the things that I talked about last week to get to what we're going to talk about this week. And so although it wasn't written intentionally as a two-part message, as I was going through my message for this week, it struck me how much that was a precursor to what God would have me speak about this week. And, uh, man, the longer I spend in what's become my community as well, our community, the more, the more I see the absolute brokenness that is surrounding us. The more time I spend talking to strangers in a superstore, which is the main place that I, I shop, I spend the most time shopping in this, this city. No offense if you prefer Sobeys. Um, the more I realize how desperate people are for connection. doesn't matter the age. If I have a teenager checking me through the cash, if I have a senior checking me through the cash, even some people, like as soon as they find out that I'm, I'm a pastor, um, because inevitably if you go through a store and see the same person enough, they want to know more about you. Um, especially if you're a friendly person. Uh, there's some people that, that, uh, that say, oh, this is my church. Um, and I still see this, this hunger, this desire for more within them. Um, and so we as Evangel Bathers are strategically placed. You have an amazing lead pastor and Pastor Andrew and a co-pastor with Pastor Pam that have such a, have casted previous to me coming here, such a strong vision for our church, for why we exist in our community. And it's way past time for us, all of us, 100% or as close as we possibly can to buy in to say, this is about me. What can I do? How, what is God talking to me? It's time for me to not just be a passive observer. And I believe as children of God, I truly believe that deep down, it is our greatest desire to do God's will. And that in most of our thoughtful more mature moments that we really want to do his will. It's just getting from the wanting to the doing. You hear me? And I've, I've seen it more than once, more than twice. I've seen it so many times here. The moments where I watch you delight in doing his will. You delight in seeing God working through you in something as simple as putting together food boxes. Was it last summer we did that here in the sanctuary? It was the summer before. But during, no, the summer before, the first summer of COVID, as we were doing food boxes uh, for our community to make up 
uh, for the food bank locally not being able to keep up with things. Um, you delighting in doing God's will and showing love to the least of these. And so I've come to these conclusions that uh, over, I'm 36, turning 37, over 30, almost 37 years, September 3rd, getting very old, <laughs> that, uh, I have a funny story about that, but I won't take up your time, um, that first off, that doing God's will, and this isn't, this isn't part of my main point, so don't take this as like, okay, we're one point down, we're this much closer to going home. This isn't what, we're not quite there to the main points yet. That doing God's will is rarely easy and rarely Uncompl- or uncomplicated. That doesn't mean it's not always easy, or that there isn't situations, but rarely is it going to be easy or uncomplicated. And instead, it can often feel difficult at times. It can feel, at times, maybe confusing. And I feel like this feels this way to us because we don't always know, we can't always fully see the end of the road. We don't always see exactly where this path is going to lead, what's going to be happening along the way. And unfamiliar is not easy. Most of us, we're not excited at the idea of not knowing what's beyond the bend. Am I wrong? When you're going on a road trip, when you're in an unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory, um, going through unfamiliar territory on a road trip, it just feels like it's going to take forever to get there because you, you don't know what's on that road. You don't, there's no familiar landmarks along the way. But like once you've lived in Bathurst and you go to Miramichi to go, cost, to, go to Costco, that road doesn't feel as long anymore because you know what's going to be up around the next bend. It's not as difficult of a journey. How many have experienced it? The more you drive that road, the quicker the time seems to go by because you're familiar with, with what's going on. And it's the same with God's call. If it was easy to see what was beyond the bend, then it wouldn't be as challenging sometimes. It wouldn't feel as difficult sometimes to answer what God's calling us to do. And often, we would much resist the doing of it because it's too difficult. We would more be more willing if it was easier or if we could do it our way. The reality is, more times than not, because of the nature of who we are as humans, it's a struggle of our will against God's will. And it has to be a choice of who we let win out in that tug of war. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross once a year to follow me. Every Easter... Every Christmas time, we'll just take up our cross and, all right, there we go, I'm good. No, daily to follow me. It, 
the reality is because of my nature, the act of denying the me is something that I have to do as a daily process. Because the less that I do that, the more the natural Graham comes through. The more easier I get impatient with the cashier because they don't seem to understand what I'm asking them. Or Bell Alliance because they had me on hold for 45 minutes. True story. Happened this week. Or Rogers, for that matter. Anyone have Rogers? I'll pray for you. The second conclusion I've come to is we have to believe that he wants to speak to us. We have to believe that he desires to lead you besides still waters. How many of you know that we can talk about the will of God for hours just so we don't have to do it? How many of you have seen that in your life or you've, you've been a part of that conversation of this is what God wants to do and then hours and hours of conversation, maybe over weeks about, or months about what God's will is goes by and then we don't do it. It just, the conversation wanes. And like I said, who can, who can blame us for that? We like the familiar. We like the known road. We don't like the feeling of risk. And to that, I think that God would say, if you're going to believe me, You're going to have to take my word at this. You're going to have to believe that I am who I say I am and that I will do exactly what I will do. I say I'll do. And actually, in fact, if you you look at Jeremiah chapter 29, we got there. You're off the cliff now. You know which book we're landing in, which chapter. In fact, he said to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, Basically just that. And it still rings through the generations. It still rings true for us today. Although contextually it was to an exiled Israel. What he said still applies today. He says in Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm starting at, uh, I'm at verse 11. We're going to jump around this, this book a little bit. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And to that, many of us say, yeah, but how come I can't see them all right now? Yeah, that's not, that's not good enough for me because I want to know 100%. I want to be able to dictate what's most convenient to me in my current situations. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. Is that not good enough? When something seems difficult or impossible, we need to understand that even though we can't see it all, we serve a God that has 100% clarity. And he has proven himself 
in the most popular book that has ever been written on earth, the most factual historical book that has ever been written on earth, that is substantiated by secular texts, a book that through methods that uh, people who study history use to understand how accurate a historical text is, this proves to be the most historically accurate of any text through history, that God will do what he says he'll do. And over 2,000 years past the point of his death, why is it still such a struggle for us to believe that he'll do what he says he'll do? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, faith, it is impossible. It's one of the few uses of that word impossible in all the scriptures. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not casually seek him but earnestly seek him. You seen how this ties into last week? Guess what? In case you didn't already know it, God loves it when we just trust him without seeing the full picture before us. In the third conclusion, and then we'll get into the real meat of this message, is we need to be perceptive and patient because God's plan is continually unfolding. What brought us to where we are right now, regardless if you recognize us in your life, is a part of his overall plan for you. Isn't that good? That you're not here on accident? But the plan is still in process. The plan isn't finished yet. It's still unfolding in our lives. And we don't reach the end of what God wants for us, what God is calling us to do until the day that we die, which is one of a few inevitables in life, the few certainties that someday you will die. And so from this point forward, we're still in process with God, and we need to be patient, we need to be willing, we need to expect that things are going to change in our life, we're not always going to know what is going to be happening, what we're going to come up against, but the best thing for us to do is to surrender to God's will regardless of circumstances, to accept that God's purposes and plans are still in fulfillment, and that Regardless of what we're facing, he will continue to be ultimately in control. And even though life is going to be full of changes and risks and releasing of what we're doing at some times to go into something else, even though we really like what we're doing, we don't want to do something else. We just need to have a do-it-God type of attitude. So this morning, I'd like to give you five guidelines, and they're simply guidelines but they're good biblical guidelines for doing God's will, what God wants us to do. Guidelines to understand what his will is. And guess what? He, is, he isn't playing games with you. He's not doing games of hide or seek. 
okay, God, where are you? What, what, do you want, what do you want me to do? I'm trying to find you. Or he doesn't do like a childish game of hot and cold, where it's like, okay, do I go over here? And he goes, colder. Okay, I'll go over this way. Getting warmer. No, God wants to make his will clear to you. He wants you to know his will. He is trying to engage you and direct your steps and whether or not you are sensitive to it or realize it or see it, he has created each and every one. And I mean that. 100% of everyone who is listening to this message, watching this message online, will listen to this message. He's created 100% of us to do his will. So the first guideline is accept a can-do mindset. To be in this frame of mind, we need to be relatively free of anxiety and stress. And this means we need to be teachable, sensitive, and available. Turn in Jeremiah to chapter 1. I told you we were jumping around this book a little bit this morning. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who we touched quickly on a few minutes ago, he had to learn the importance of having this frame of mind. In uh, chapter 1, verse 6, God told him, chapter 1, verse 6, I formed you, and I consecrated you, and I appointed you. And then Jeremiah answered him, Alas, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Now think, think about this for a second. What was Jeremiah? What was his, his role? He was a prophet, right? He was a prophet. What, do, what, are, what, do prophets, what were prophets doing in that time? They were speaking. What? You're like, it's your job to speak. You are a prophet, and yet you're here telling God, but I can't speak, I'm too young. You're missing the point, dude. That's like your entire job. Like, you're given one task, and now you're saying, I can't do that. <laughs> then the passage goes on. If you jump down to the same chapter, verse, starting at verse 7, going through verse 9. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched his mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Accept a can-do frame of mind. It means learning to say, Lord, if you're asking me to do this, I'm willing. Period. In Philippians 4, chapter, thir- sorry, chapter 4, verses 13, encourages us in this mindset when it says, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. Wow. Biblical guideline number two. Biblically investigate God's will.
it's very important to know that God's will will never be contrary to his word. Ever. You, if you find yourself in a circumstance where you're doing what you think is God's will, and then you go and pick up your Bible one day, you're reading your devotions, and you read something and discover that what you've been doing is in contrary to God's will, that's a good sign to stop whatever you're doing. Because never, ever, ever should we find ourselves doing something that the Bible directly condemns. The psalmist says in Psalms 119, I'm reading through uh, verses 97 through 105. Oh, how I love your instructions. Do you love his instructions? Do you really? Don't just say it. Take it to heart. I think about them all day long. Do you even think about them once a day? Once a month? Once a decade? That's, that's a real question. Consider that. Because for some people, they may realize, wow, I haven't thought about it in a long time. And that should be concerning to us. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Oh Lord, may they be constant. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path, so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well how sweet your words taste to me. Especially we're not engaged with God and it's not part of our daily life. They sometimes can feel bitter because they can convict. But the more engaged that we are with God, the sweeter it is to commune with him. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. To know God's will is to know his word. To know his word is to know God's will. And guess what? If you spend enough time in God's word, you just might discover the impossible, what seems impossible, what he's trying to say to you, what he's been trying to get through to you, the will that he has for your life. And sometimes when we're in the midst of a situation trying to, to discover what God might be trying to say to us in this moment. Sometimes it might be just as simple as using the concordance in your Bible, finding the closest subject to or word to whatever you're experiencing and reading the scriptures. But I want to make this process a little bit simpler for us. If, if you're trying to use God's word for a specific situation at times, 
it's, it's important to understand a few things. You need to research it well. So just going to God's, going to the concordance, finding, I don't even know that my Bible has a concordance. I guess it's not as good as your Bible. But uh, no, it just has maps at the back. But you can get Bibles that have a concordance. And it's not just good enough to, like, say, suffering. And go find one verse that says, has the word suffering in. You need to research. You need to understand uh, more about what the Bible is trying to say, what God's word is trying to say about that overall subject. Because comp- uh, context is an important part of your study of God's word. And so if you're trying to use his word to understand a specific situation in your life, and you pull up that word suffering, you go to a particular chapter that has the word suffering in it, and you just read that one verse, you're missing the entire context of what that was within. Read the entire chapter. Read the chapters that are around it to truly understand what God is saying in that situation of suffering. Explore more of the Old New Testament to understand about how God reacts or the advice that he gives in that situation. One says, there's a saying, without a properly Without being properly set, a diamond is loose and can get lost. But when you put it in its setting, you can enjoy the beauty of the gem. And the exact same thing goes for scriptures. To enjoy the beauty of what it's saying, understand the setting that it's within. And then finally, almost equally important, discuss with God, with godly friends when you're sitting with your Christian friends, instead of discussing the local church gossip, set the agenda on God's word, on the situation that you're finding yourself in, that you're trying to understand. Say, I went to this verse, and, and this is what I feel like God's trying to say to me through it. But what do you, in, in your understanding, what is God trying to say? Go to someone who has more time, who's showing through character, through action, that they are connected to God, that they love God passionately, and get their advice on what God may be saying to you through the scriptures. Third guideline, look for clarification and conviction from the Holy Spirit. I touched a bit on this last week. When we're walking the Spirit, when we're truly walking hand-in-hand with the Spirit in our life. You're thinking about scriptures. Scriptures are coming to mind. God's word is coming to mind in all types of situations. It's something that we are reflecting on, that we're open to, that we experience God's leading in throughout the day. It becomes sort of like a magnetic north of where God is pulling us, the sense of direction. It becomes easier to follow that compass and trust that compass. Sometimes when, especially when you're new to navigating in the woods with map and compass, especially in 
our early days. I'm part of the pre-GPS generation. And so I learned navigation in a forest with a map and a compass. And uh, it can be scary uh, sometimes if you're dropped in an unfamiliar part of the woods and you're told your job is to get from where I dropped you and you have to meet me at this point by this time. And uh, you just got that compass and your map. And you're like, man, I hope this is a good compass. I hope there's nothing uh, messing up this magnetic, the magnetic north. And um, I hope my map is accurate. I hope that uh, the, all the topography is, is, is what it actually is. And I don't end up in Timbuktu and, or eaten in the middle of the woods by a bear. But the more you time you spend practicing using your compass, the more time you spend in the woods with your compass and your map, the easier it is to say, no, this compass is true. This compass is never going to lead me wrong. And as long as I know where I'm at right now, it doesn't matter what's surrounding me. doesn't matter what I'm going to encounter. I know I can trust my compass. I know I can trust my map. And I'm going to get there. Do you hear what I'm saying? Psalms 40, verse 1 says, I patiently waited for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. You can trust Magnetic North with God. But it's important to know that God doesn't operate on our same 24-hour clock, right? His, he operates on an eternal timeline. And so sometimes when we really want to hurry up, he says, no, we need to slow down. Sometimes when we say, oh, I wish I had more time. I want to be in this moment right now. I really enjoy, I really enjoy leading worship. I want to lead worship more. No, it's time to move forward. If you turn quickly to Romans 8, Romans 8, we're going to be uh, looking at verses 14 through 17, and then jumping down to 26 and 27. Starting at Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, it says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. I added the daughters because of our time. In his time, it was a male-dominated society, and so you see a lot of male uh, pronouns. Um, back in that day, females weren't even able to get into the synagogue. There was a gate they closed, and they would listen from outside. We're all children of God, so I add in daughters. For... You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave against, again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are hearers of God, sorry, heirs of God. 
and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. You hear that last part? Not the best feeling, but it's what God's word says. If we're going to share in his glory, glory, at times we're also going to share in the suffering. And then if you jump down to verse 26, in many ways, sorry, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Thank you, God. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Sometimes, isn't that true? You're like, man, I don't even know what to pray for right now. When my brother died, I sure didn't know what to pray for. I sure prayed in earnest for him not to die. And then when he didn't, he wasn't healed, I had no idea what to pray for. Where the heck are you, God? That's literally the words that in my mind I said to God. He didn't get mad at me for that. During that time, I was in a deep depression. So deep that I didn't even want to live. And I was trying to go through the motions of being a pastor. Some Sundays having to get up and lead piano in St. John. And I was saying, God, where are you right now? But in our weakness, the spirit is strong. And I continued, even though I was angry sometimes, and I didn't understand why in the world God would allow that to happen. Now, I understand now that I, I get out of the Christian mindset that everything has to do with God. People just die, folks. It's not God's fault. But even in that mindset, I still had this desire to serve God. Even though my heart was broken, God honored that willingness to still serve, to still get up and try my best to make it to a worship service without crying. (laughs) When we are weak, his spirit is strong. You do not know when we do not know what to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that words cannot express. Wow. Unless you've been in those times, you don't get to see that miracle of God doing that. The things that God can do when the Spirit is groaning and pouring out what's really at our hearts. But we don't, We can't find the words to say it in the midst of our situation. Boy, I can't see my my words right now for some reason. For he searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. When we are willing to wait We're willing to let him to take charge in a problem. His will. The trouble tends to come 
when I get impatient, when I'm wanting to jump the line, when I say, oh, I know how to handle this. I'm just going to take care of this right now. Or even more trouble when we get into a really tough situation and we say, there is no God. This isn't the way God would act. If God truly was a God of love, this wouldn't happen. Boy, that's as false, as wrong as you can get. And here's the reality. When we choose to jump the line, when we choose to say, I'm going to take control right now. Here, God, I, I need the reins. Invariably, we're going to regret the actions that we take, the words that we say, the things that we do or we don't do. And I don't know about you, but I've never felt sorry for the things I didn't say. I rarely, as I think through, as I was writing this and thinking through my life, I rarely regret the times where I waited. Often, I've discovered, took me many years to discover this, the bigger the decision, the longer I need to wait. The more chaotic the conflict, the longer I need to keep my mouth shut. Instead of acting, reacting as God would have me react. Guideline number four, we're doing really good for time in case you're a clock watcher. Guideline number four, determine if peace is occurring. Colossians 3, verse 15 through 16 says, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Since as a member of one body, you were called to peace. Are you showing God's peace through your words, through your actions? Are you experiencing God's peace in what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you're saying, and what you're not saying? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Not my wisdom, not my current theory on a situation, but God's wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. So if I were to take this, use some baseball terminology, which is really hard, but it fit the best. I like hockey because I'm a true Canadian. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> to use baseball terminology... It's all right to have fun at church. I know that this is like, I know that last Sunday and this Sunday has got a little bit tense at times. We get a little bit uncomfortable. I still love you and you can still love me and laugh when I'm being funny. Or at least make me feel like I'm being funny. So let the empire of the game have his final voice and don't boo. So easy to boo the referees or or the empires. The empire in this, this situation is the peace of God or, or the Holy Spirit. And he makes crucial calls. He makes decisions on, oh, that's a, that's a strike. Or that's a ball. 
or that, that, that went foul, it crossed, it crossed the line early enough that that's a foul. And it's so easy to be like, what? No, you got it wrong, Holy Spirit. That wasn't a ball, that, wasn't a, that, was, that was a strike. Come on, what, why are you making that call? He settles, the Holy Spirit settles situations before they turn into conflict. If you allow him, he's the peacemaker. His way is peace. If you want to make a decision in the midst of a struggle, if you had to come to a decision, I would say, do you have peace in all of this? And if your answer was, you know, I'm, I'm really a little bit unsettled. Actually, I don't have complete peace. I would say, then if you don't have peace, keep waiting. Don't take action on that decision. Don't try to talk yourself into the decision. Don't try to talk someone else into or out of a decision when they say they don't have peace. Well, I think, I think it's better for you. I feel like it's God's will, so you should just do it. No, if they don't have peace, no, 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 no. There's only one word, one person's word, one being's word that matters, and that's God's. Don't let someone else ever, ever, ever make a decision minor or major for you when it comes to the will of God in your life. The decision always is ultimately and has to be between me and God. And when it's time to make that decision, it's when I'm experiencing inner peace. Does that mean I'm not going to have questions? Absolutely not. Because I don't know what's around the bed. And we already, we already covered that point in case you were asleep then. I don't know what's around the bend always. But I do know it's time for me to take this step. Or it's time for me to step away. Or it's time for me to speak out. It's time for me to shut up. Sometimes it's God's will for us to shut up. Did you know that? It sounds crude, but it's true. A lot of us had to learn that in the last few years. It was a good, it was a good time. It was a time that was stretching for so many people to understand that. Final guideline, expect struggles and surprises as you experience the results. It's part of what's around the bend. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Consider it all joy. It's not always <laughs> that joyful, but the Bible still says that because that's the attitude that we're trying to work towards, right? Even in the worst situations, we still have that equilibrium, that balancing point in our life because of relationship with God. That even when life tries to tilt me way over here and pull me way away, no, it's all joy. It doesn't mean I'm feeling happiness. It doesn't mean I'm feeling that emotion of happiness. There's a difference between an emotion of happiness and the experience of God-given joy. The joy the Bible talks about isn't talking about that emotion of happiness that we, we have and then someone can tick us off and now we're angry. Or we get a call and now we're sad. No, that joy is that, that balancing point 
Because when I am living in commune with God and that, that, that relationship where God can revive my heart, is reviving my heart, and is ready to pour out his spirit, people can see that difference, that equilibrium, that joy point. We encounter various trials knowing that the tests of your faith produce what? Endurance. Endurance doesn't just come, right? For runners, they can't just go run a 5K. If uh, any of us, most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, if we tried to go run a 5K, we'd drop at two meters. I'll speak for myself. I would drop at two meters. Man, some of the, some of the games that uh, we plan for youth, I'm like, holy smokes. I do not have what it takes to keep up with this. Like, I willingly will lose sometimes just so that I don't have to run around anymore. I'm like, okay, you win. I don't have the endurance for this. Sometimes we step into situations clearly the will of God for us. We reflect on it. We've gotten counsel from people we respect. We have peace about it. And strangely, we're into it two weeks before we realize that it has its difficulty. There's a challenge. There's something that came around the bend that, oh, I didn't see that coming. And it's so easy to give up or say, oh, maybe this wasn't the will of God. Because things got a little bit difficult. It's important and understand this. Even within the will of God, there will be struggles. There will be surprises. You need to persevere. You need to understand that peace that you experienced to go enter in this situation. You don't just give up because you experienced something that you weren't expecting. Understand that you can still walk through that situation with the peacemaker. Knowing that there's going to be more than one supposed can of worms that you're going to come across. And if we're truly walking in the Spirit, we understand that this isn't my plan that I'm walking in. This is God's plan that I'm walking in. And even though I wasn't expecting this can of worms, he still wants to use me. He's still present in my situation. And so uh, as I conclude today, there's a couple really quick practical points that I would like to mention doesn't mean that this is the time to check out or start getting your coat ready. This is the time to plug in and listen even more because these are a couple important points. Quick doesn't always mean less important. First, the secret of knowing God's will, and I use that term secret lightly, but to us it can feel like it's secretive, like it's, we need top six, tops. Uh, secret security clearance to be able to have clear vision. The secret of knowing God's will means we must stop with all the excuses and rationalizations. 
We started with Jeremiah and him saying in, in chapter 1, verse 6, Alas, O Lord, behold I, behold, I don't know how to speak because I'm young. That was an excuse. And then we seen as Jeremiah finally settled that issue with God. Do you think God didn't know that he was young? God doesn't call you into a situation to be compared with someone else. That your actions would measure up to what someone else has done in a certain situation. You're called into it as an instrument. And in that role, you're in God's plan. So stop with the excuses. Stop with the rationalizations. Just do it. Secondly, the success that follows doing God's will rests with God, not you. You hear me? The success of doing God's will rests with God, not with me. We can get so focused on what am I seeing what, what fruits am I seeing? Um, how, many, how many people are attending my connect group? How many people got baptized in a, in a current year? How many new people are attending uh, Elevate Youth? We need to focus on those things. But as long as we're doing what God is actually asking us to do, leave it up to God. Leave the results up to God. I've discovered that it, uh, it helps to take the strain, the stress, the sweat out of the matter. But there's a danger there. We can become lazy and say, well, it's up to God. The results are up to God. No, we have a big play, hand to play in what he wants. Sometimes in the midst of a situation, you can say, Lord, I'm over my head. Or, hey, Lord, here I am, totally inadequate. This was your plan from the start. Help. If we go back to uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm picking it up at verse 9. It says, but Lord, the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord wants to do that for you as you start to live out what we talked about last week, desires to, for you to come to a place in your life so he is able to reach out and touch his hand to your mouth. That you are in such deep relationship with him that your life is so exalting and exuberating the glory of God 
that it's easy for him to mold and work in you. Then the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Thank you, God. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I commanded you. Do not, dis- do not be dis- dismayed before them, lest I dismay you before them. Otherwise, stay in line. Behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and walls of bronze against the whole land to the king of Judah, its princes, to its priests, to the people of the land, and they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Do you receive that? I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Man, we have a whole lot of enemy that's trying to come against us, both in flesh and principality. But behold, I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. For the will is not yours, but mine. And as I said at the beginning, I believe truly that this word written in Jeremiah is meant to ring through the generations after generations for us to hear, for us to take courage, to see what, if you go through yourself through the book in Jeremiah and see what Jeremiah was able to do in his willingness. Yes, the weakness was still there, but God overcame that through his spirit for us to preserve and meditate on, to be encouraged by, to take actions by, to apply today. The word is to be applied in our life, not just to be read. And a big reason why I believe that is because I've seen these words that I spoke this morning, that as I've applied them and continue to apply them every day in my own life, that they run ring to be true for me. When we are in God's will, he steps up, just like he stepped up for Jeremiah. Do you believe that? If you believe it, act on it. Our comfort comes in knowing that he is doing all things well. including his plans for your life and his desire to fulfill his plans through you. And when we do his will, he develops our character. Man, I need character development. I got some character flaws in my life. I'm well aware of my weaknesses. And God's working on me. God wants to continue to work on me and do the same to you. And we discover new strengths. We can discover new giftings that we never knew were there. We didn't think we were able. And God says, but I'm able to do greater things through you. His mercy rushes to our rescue. 
He doesn't just leave you hanging. You're like, God, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I don't know how this is going to happen. He rushes to our rescue. He's long-suffering and he's patient. But sometimes we falter, thank you, God. And guess what? He has chosen us. And he desires to make us his instrument. And show how uniquely and wonderfully made we are and how ready we are just as he's made us. As long as we're surrendered to him. Will you stand? To hear what God's saying to you this morning, church. The time is now, not tomorrow. Not when you get a few things sorted out in your life. Not when there's a little less pain. The time is now to apply this word to our lives, church. And just like I said last week, it's when we take the words that are spoken and we act on them now when we see our hearts revived, we see us taking that next step of saying, what is your will, God? Oh, okay, I'm going to just do it. We're going to see these pews filled. We're going to see that desire that we, that revival that we so desire, that outpouring of God's Spirit. There's no shortcuts. There's no easier path. God's made clear the way. And it's just time for us to do it, to stop wishing for what was and accept what currently is and change what currently needs to change where I am at. Why don't you close your eyes? ask the breakthrough team to uh, come to the front to ready yourselves to uh, pray with people. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to us, church. If you're ready to apply what God has been trying to say to you, seek him you don't have to you don't want you don't have to come forward to the front but if you desire to be prayed for if you feel like you need to be prayed with i encourage you to do so
Let's seek after God. Let's repent for the things that we've been doing or not doing, for how we've been trying to control the reins in our own life, for the neglect that we've been giving our relationship with Christ, and seek after what he has for you to do, how he desires to activate you within his will. I'm not going to do a big closing prayer. If you feel the need to uh, slip out, by all means, do so. For those that are watching online, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to spend time with you. You can feel free to reach out to us in the office. But as I said, if you need to, if you need to leave, feel free to do so. But I encourage you seek after the moving of the Spirit in your life this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and flood this place and fill the atmosphere.